recording yet? I mean, it's fine. Yeah, we're recording. Are you doing your like it then? <laughs> Is that your like it? I think we're Did we easing. just do our like it? No, no, I know. <laughs> I can paste this in later. <laughs> this is pretty good. So my like it is my variant of Mexican coffee. Everybody, if you're a coffee drinker, throw in some cayenne pepper. If you want a little sweet, throw in like a little hot cocoa or sugar or something. And maybe cinnamon. Someone told me that if you cut out cream and sugar out of your coffee, you'll lose 10 pounds a year. Until you just like nothing. <laughs> you waste it away. <laughs> it's like a Benjamin Button scenario, but with weight. It just sheds. You just slowly vanish. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like you might want to. You it don't back think in of then. it that much, but like a little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar in your coffee every day. If you cut that out, someone said you'll lose anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds in a year. Hmm. Is that crazy? That's only if you're currently drinking it. I like it. So my like it is uh, I've rediscovered my love for live music. I've been to a couple concerts recently in Nashville. I went to a couple concerts when I was there on vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, hit up a couple shows kind of spontaneously. Mm-hmm. It was really, really fun. And then, um, and then just recently I saw John Mayer. He came to Sacramento. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we were able to get like tickets for like 25 bucks. Like, pretty cheap for, like, John Mayer. And it's just so good. Like, it's so fun. Live music. So, I think that's my... What's fun about it? Um, I just like the the energy of, Mm -hmm. like, being in this, like, this huge arena. I mean, it doesn't have to be huge, but just a space where it's, like, there's something creative happening. Like, the people are there. The musicians are there. And... There's something. There's a creative moment that's happening that everyone is kind of creating together. You kind of. It's kind of interesting because you show up at a like. There's a certain time in a certain place, and everyone shows up to it, and then something happens. Mm-hmm. And it's not like just the musicians. The musicians can show. It's not just John Mayer can show up and play to an empty arena. Like that's not. That's nothing. But it's somehow the coming together of everyone and creating like an event or a happening or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I just like to the just, it's live. Sometimes there's accidents. Sometimes mm-hmm. they play wrong notes. Sometimes they start over. Like it's just, you get to see them as human beings yeah. and then they talk in between songs yeah. and, and really you never know what's going to happen. So it's not like listening to a polished album, but it's like the spontaneous unplanned, so, somewhat unplanned. So it's just that. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's interesting. So, live I would music. like to. Yeah, live music. I like it. I want more of it. Hmm. Huey Lewis is coming. <laughs> is he really? Well, it's like we get all. You know, I don't know. Sacramento gets a lot of like Lady Gaga is coming like yeah. end, end of August or something like that. But like some of these, like I can't believe John Mayer was only twenty five bucks. Like that was pretty. I mean, it was kind of like nosebleed seats. But like Huey Lewis. He's coming to Thunder Valley right over here. It's like a hundred bucks. Wow. Yeah. Are you going to see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I actually want to revisit some earlier beefs. I want to revisit these beefs and update them to things I like. Oh, okay. what? So, yes. Is this the shower head? You love so, your shower head? So, since, since we have last recorded, 
Rachel and I have moved from an apartment to a condo. And there are two things about this new place that I like. Number one, Sam, you guessed it. I think this might have been my very first beef on this whole show. It was. The shower head at our old place was way too low. Yeah. You were like the hunchback in there. Uh, yeah. I was doing yoga to get my hair wet each morning. Now, Naked. not only is it, the right, is it the right height, but it is an adjustable shower head. So I can make it whatever height I like. If I want the nostalgia of that old shower head, <laughs> I could lower it. If I want it or really if you're high, especially flexible that morning. Yeah, or if I'm feeling very flexible, or if I want it really high, I can raise it. So it feels like it's like raining. Yeah, like it's just raining, <laughs> and I'm just kind of dancing around outside naked, right? Uh, but whoa, well, that's what it would be like <laughs> if you say so. so. That's <laughs> that's been fixed. That is a major. Think about life. that, people. Just okay, don't, that think, don't think about that. Let's move on because there's a second thing about this place. Well, this is about. A I know what it is. Okay, guess. It's the uh, kitchen. I, I mean, I like the kitchen. It's but the this counters. Is, it's the counters. No, the that's sink. not fixing a beef. The beef that I've had in the past is that my washing machine and dryer did not have a signal letting me know oh, yeah. they oh, yeah. were done. This oh, is because he buys cheap stuff. Remember? This is <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. El Cheapo. Well, that, that would be your wrestling name if you had like <laughs> El Cheapo. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. a mask okay. with a dollar sign <laughs> that's right with a line through it uh-huh <laughs> the whole thing yeah no but i mean i didn't buy these appliances either but my dryer now has a signal where the old one didn't and so i can it will yell at me now when it's done so yeah your life got way better it's massive improvement if you take the percentage of beefs that have been improved in the last month it's yeah. uh substantial sometimes it's the small things huh matt well, yeah, that's kind of the whole point of these segments. <laughs> We're happy for you. Yeah, Matt, that's what that's what Matt, Sam means. I can't even tell you how that's happy guys. I am for you. You know what? I take your sarcasm, and I remember that all the audience is thrilled for me right now. I like it. Okay, so we're gonna do a we're gonna have a conversation called "Books That Have Shaped Us." Now, I heard this morning from someone in this room that someone they know thinks that this is a boring topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to name this person, but you know who you are because you're probably listening but they right have now. Been, they have been named before on this podcast. Yes, they have been named before. I should name the person and then I, then I can use a sensor beep. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. been <laughs> a longstanding goal of yours. I've always wanted to use the sensor beep. Yeah. So, so this person thinks that this, this conversation is boring, but we disagree. Well, we don't really know yet. Well, this person thinks the topic, I've, I've heard, this person thinks the topic is boring, not the conversation. So oh, maybe the, topic. the people. The, the top, yeah, or the people. I think she likes everything but the topic. He or she. He or yeah. she. It <laughs> likes everything. <laughs> Beep there too. <laughs> what does she want us to do? Like Netflix, <laughs> Netflix shows that have shaped us without our knowing? <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe, if, uh, maybe it's just a title thing. Maybe oh. if instead of books that have shaped us, it was cool like, codices that have <laughs> conformed. Yeah, well, I like the alliteration. What about sexy books? books sexy that, books that have see, shaped us. That would be better. So anyway, so so you know, if you listen to this conversation and you think, man, that was boring, tell us. We're open. We're 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 open to hearing that it's feedback. True. It doesn't always have to be five stars. It doesn't always have to be like over the top enthusiastic. 
If you think this is boring, just say on our Facebook page, that was boring. No context. Don't unsubscribe. Just, don't unsubscribe. Yeah, don't just unsubscribe. Tell us how to get just better. stay with us. <laughs> okay? Hey, we have to introduce the new voice. Oh, there's a, a voice familiar here. voice. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But yeah. Go ahead. Uh, his name's Kevin. Pastor Kevin. Andy. Reverend Kevin. Reverend Doctor. Author Kevin. And he's not the one who thought the subject was boring. Oh, I didn't just, think... Uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> if, if you thought it was boring, you wouldn't be here. Just, yeah, you know, I suppose that's well, that's because we grew up in the age of the book. The book. Like, right. you know, like we book shaped us. Mm-hmm. But maybe for like some of our younger listeners, they don't feel the same way. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. blogs. Blogs that have shaped us. Podcasts that have shaped us. Maybe we, we aspire to be one. on that list. So maybe we're like book nerds. Maybe we're, maybe we're like you know unique in that way weird maybe we're maybe we're not with it <laughs> i maybe think this we're... episode is for probably for book nerds a little sure. bit yeah yeah or maybe so those who aren't book nerds will be inspired will be captivated i feel like that's something a book nerd says though yeah probably people who don't like books will start liking books because i do <laughs> <laughs> So, so books that have shaped us. Give us a yeah. chance, people. Get, yeah. Let's give this conversation a chance. Are you ready? I think we're beyond ready. Okay, yeah. should I go first? You should. Yes. Yeah, okay, sure. okay. The first book that has shaped me is the Bible. I only said that because I felt like I had That's to. That's all I had, Sam. That's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had. <laughs> mistaken. I'm what? walking out of the room right okay, now. Okay, now that I got Are that out of the way. Are we going to say the Bible? <laughs> and then just be done. <laughs> least interesting conversation. Okay, I honestly felt because I'm a pastor I had to say that. Okay, now that, that that's out of the way, the second book that has shaped me is this very meaningful book called 150. Woo! Oh, <laughs> oh, nice. Wow. Yes, you will get a paycheck this week. <laughs> Actually, I felt like I had to say that too. Yes. <laughs> you did, actually. But thanks for acknowledging that. You did. Whether By the you way, people, it is a great book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. 150, The Psalms, written by our very own Kevin Adams. And Aaron just told me this morning that his mom bought it. Yeah, she just oh, bought she a did. copy on Amazon. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So, thanks, mom. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much money you actually get. Supportive. Not, it, it's like, I think it's paid so far like 37 cents an hour. <laughs> but I'm not solid. really keeping track. Real solid. But who's counting? But who's counting? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So here's my real pick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is this book that I found probably 15 years ago, and the fact that it still is having an impact not only on me but our youth pastor here here at Granite Springs Q is actually borrowing it. So I don't. I don't. It was sitting in my office, but he it. has it, so I don't have it here. Uh, okay. But the book was written by Mark Iaconelli, which is kind of a it's a great name. Great name. It's great. Mm-hmm. His dad was Mike Iaconelli, who started um, Youth Specialties, which was kind of a powerhouse. Kind of uh, did lots of conferences for youth workers back in the day. But anyways, this is his son Mark. He wrote a book called Contemplative Youth Ministry. And I think it was so impactful for me because back when I was a youth pastor, um, I was doing the kind of traditional youth pastor thing. So I kind of thought, well, what do youth ministries do and what do youth pastors do? Well, you got to do overnighters because hmm. that's what youth ministries do. And, hmm. they, and, and you know, when you, get toge- <laughs> when you get together, you have to do crazy games, right? Hmm. Crazy games, do like a crazy food eating game where it's like you eat like 
I don't know, pig's foot. And like, I once had to eat a whole raw onion. Yeah. Uh, and you did. And I did. And you survived. It scarred you, actually. Yeah, my breath was bad for like two months. I can still, <laughs> I can still smell you it. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was two that. months ago, actually. Just brush your teeth in the morning. Yeah, no, I did that. <laughs> no amount of tooth, tooth brushing could deal with eating just a raw onion. But sorry, go ahead. So anyways, so it's like there was this kind of like paradigm of like how you do youth ministry back in like the 2000s. And it just didn't really resonate with me. I just kind of thought that there could be another way to do it. And then Mark Iaconelli comes out with this book called Contemplative Youth Ministry, where he just talks about doing youth ministry in a different kind of way, what he would call a contemplative way, where it's like a youth ministry that's centered around uh, listening, uh, Lectio Divina, uh, paying attention to the scriptures, uh, formative, really, really, you know, taking students deeper and really believing that students at their age, whether they're in junior high or high school, can actually experience the presence of God. So it's really giving students a lot more credit than the youth ministry right. paradigm at the time was giving them, which is basically you have to entertain them, you have to make sure everything is really, really fun all the time and hyper and pumped up with yeah. sugar. And he came along and said, I think there's a different way to do youth ministry. Mm-hmm. So I keep, you know, over the years, keep going back to that book. Um, He has a part in the last few chapters. He talks about this three-part method of kind of like the way he is with students as a a pastor, as a Christ person, you know, how to, so he kind of, and so I'm not going to give it away because I'm going to say you have to go to the book um, and talk about these three. Maybe I will name them, but he basically says that, the way that he's with students is he notices how God is with them, what God is doing in their lives. He helps them name what's happening. And then he talks about how to nurture kind of what God is doing. So noticing, naming, and nurturing, which I think is really powerful. Like that's a lot of what uh, has informed kind of my pastoral philosophy is when I'm with people, it's like, I'm not trying to make something happen. I'm simply noticing what they're telling me or what words they're using or what God seems to be doing in their lives. And then with them, I try to put some language around that. So we try to name what that is. Um, And then we talk about how we might nurture kind of what is happening in their lives and what God is doing. So it's really taking the pressure off me because I don't need to make anything happen. Like there is already, God is already at work and together we're noticing it. And then we're trying to put some language words around it. And then we talk about how we might nurture, nurture that thing that is growing in them. So anyways, he talks about that in the book towards the last three chapters or somewhere near the end. And it's just kind of been this uh, kind of framework that I use a lot with people. So, you know, it's like I, I've met him a couple of times. Um, he's, a, he's a great guy, but uh, his book has just had a really kind of profound impact on me and my ministry and, and the way I view ministry. Part of what's, I'm, I remember the conversation when you were a youth pastor and you came to me and you said, what about contemplative youth ministry? And at first it was, uh, you just have to think about it a while because it's so outside the paradigm, but it quickly, it so suited you and it so suited us as a church. And what strikes me as you talk about it, it's not about youth ministry, it's just a way to do life. Yeah. And it's a way to do ministry for sure, but it's a way to do life where it's like it doesn't have to be all amped up all the time. Nope. It doesn't have to be one continuous high after another because that's not realistic. And it sets people up post-youth ministry uh, 
with a crash. And then you think, well, <laughs> why didn't people stick around the church after being filled with Mountain Dew and games? And, uh, <laughs> you know, well, maybe they weren't really given the church. Yeah. There's a version of that that happens just in general worship too, right? Now with a lot of churches, it's the more lights, the better. The louder the music, right. the better. The more passion of the The more handsome the, the music leader. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, that one's important. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there is, there is kind of that desire maybe to keep that high going, right? After you're yeah. done with youth group, like, oh, the adults need this too. We got to keep, yeah. We, can't, we don't want to mm-hmm. listen. We just want to mm-hmm. right. be pumped up. Yeah. So, that's my book. Good Contemplative book. Youth Ministry, Mark yeah. Iaconelli. You All can right. still find it on Amazon. He's written a couple of other youth ministry books, too, which is yeah. great. So, should we do Cat? Let's do sure. Cat. Well, I'll be happy to go next. And uh, Matt said earlier, maybe this is a nerd fest, and so this may really uh, out me as a nerd. Uh, my book, it's really hard to pick because I'm a book lover from way back, mm-hmm. but the book I'll pick is called Lord of the Rings by oh. Mr. <laughs> Tolkien. Oh, so I'm going for a classic. Never heard of it. I'm going for a classic. What about the Bible? Uh, I do like the Bible. <laughs> Uh, and I do like 150. Did anybody mention 150 <laughs> yet? Uh, I do like 150. And Sam has some wonderful poetry books. I was going right? to name my own God book as something that shaped me. But everybody, and, uh, everybody, buy 150. Get Kevin up to 38 cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it would take about eight purchases, I think, to do that. Um, so Lord of the Rings. Lord so of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, and um, I think part of why I picked it because I'm reading it again, oh, and nice. I'm about three-fourths of the way through the first. So, it's both it's both one entire book, but it comes in three books. And if you've seen the movies, you have some glimpse of what it might be. My recommendation, if you've never read it, is to watch the first movie so you can get all these strange names sort of straight and clear because the movie helps with that. Hmm. And then don't watch the rest. I mean, the movies are interesting, but then go back to the book. A couple things, uh, I think, why the book's captivating. One is there's this deep sense of call uh, in a person's life. So this ordinary, regular person happens to be a hobbit because it's a fantasy land, uh, is called to do this extraordinarily big, difficult, taxing thing and doesn't really want to, but does simply because they're called. And um, it's not put like that exactly in the book um, because one of my favorite things about this book is it's not Christian speak, and yet there are deeply Christian, amazing themes in this. But the sense of call, um, at one point, um, Frodo says, the, the, the hobbit with this call says, I, I, don't, I wish this hadn't happened to me. And Gandalf, the great wise gray wizard, says, so do all who face such times. But the question isn't what times we were given, but what are we going to do with the times that we have been given? He says it much more poetically than that, which brings up the second reason I like this book. It is really difficult to describe um, or to um, draw people into beauty. Like if you're going to make a movie, make a really evil character, and that's simpler. I mean, Darth Vader Mm -hmm. is really interesting, but it's simpler to describe Darth Vader than someone good. And one of the, I think, magic things of Tolkien is he is able to describe beauty in a way that's captivating and um, moving in a deep kind of way. So elves are often like Elf at Christmas the movie, or they're either goofball like that or these short little people. But he, based on his work as a philologist, determined that elves are these creatures of noble beauty. And when he describes them, uh, you, you find yourself deeply wanting to meet them. 
mm-hmm. or to hang out with them in Rivendell, which is one of the uh, made-up places where they live. So that's sort of interesting. And he's able, throughout the book, he sort of goes into poetry. And the first time I read the book, uh, I skipped all the poems because they're long. <laughs> Me too. And they're in Elvish yeah. sometimes. I mean, he... This is an artist's dream because it it wasn't written for a marketer. It wasn't written mm-hmm. to be a bestseller. It was written as a true uh, piece of beauty. He wrote it for its own beautiful sake. So he leaves long passages of Elvish in there. Who does this? And yet, I think the more... My, my kids have read it more than me. My sons, I think, have read it seven or eight times, and they're in their 20s. Um, but, but So I think the second thing is... Um, just about beauty. There are few places in life where you can go and, and be captivated by beauty. The third thing, but those places should grow and prosper, I think. The third thing is that uh, he has this burden, this calling, and there's these places of beauty. And oh, by the way, there's this other character that doesn't appear in the movies. His name is Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. It's worth reading the real books just to meet Tom Bombadil because here's another really deeply good person. And it's very difficult to describe goodness in a captivating way. Usually it's kind of off-putting or narrow or, mm-hmm. um, you know, goody two-shoes and good becomes negative. So anyway, but the third thing is um, this fellowship. I mean, I'm in the chapter where the, book, the first book is called Fellowship of the Ring, but this task cannot be completed by yourself, but to have comrades, friends, family who will sacrifice for your good, who will come alongside you, I find deeply moving. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Tolkien launched a whole genre called fantasy, which didn't exist before, much to the frustration of long-term English majors, not in this room, but in other places who are, how can people be so captivated by this book? But I think because of those three things, I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll stop with those three things. I've never read Lord of the Rings. I've read The Hobbit, and I've seen the movies, Lord of the There's Rings. There's a special place in Purgatory. <laughs> so if but that you, made if me want to read it. Going to, there you go. There you, you go. made me want to read it. That's right. It's either. not that I'm going to, because I'd probably just, you know, watch just Netflix. read about Tom Bombadil. That's all you have yeah, to read, and you will good. be captivated. Yeah. I think I started one, and then, like, the third or fourth poem, I, I think lost me and then yeah. maybe bailed on it but uh, I did enjoy the movies yeah. maybe I have to try again maybe I, I think I have to look not get caught up in the, the details maybe of some of the poetry and elvish stuff yeah I'll be a Tolkien evangelist I think it's like great art or great music it kind of grows on you with time so my first <laughs> mm-hmm. time through too I really put it down because I couldn't keep these strange names straight yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so that I get, you get lost in that and then you get lost in this poetry you think what's he doing I think I think that takes layers it, it did for me I'll just put it that way <laughs> So my book I think, is... Uh, Aaron, I see that the cover of your book is ripped, and I think you just ripped it right now. <laughs> just to be like, guys, loved. look, I read this book. <laughs> <laughs> to make it look yeah, like this... I've had it for years and years. Like you ran Which over I... it with your car today. Yeah. yeah, just to show how much I loved it. Well, this was um, a book I read in college. So I'm trying to decide if I have like a nostalgic relationship with it or if it kind of holds up for me today. But I think it does, especially... Uh, given the que- well, given the questions, you know, people kind of ask themselves in their early twenties. But um, this is a book called "Walking on Water" by Madeline Lengel, and I have to just—it's—it's it's more a series of kind of her thoughts than it is a story. Um, but she 
spends a lot of this time grappling with the idea of being a Christian artist. So what's, what is art? What does it mean to be a Christian artist? Is there such a thing as a Christian artist? Um, so those are some questions that fascinated me and still do fascinate me. Um, I'm, I need to read a couple of parts of it. So she was, this is in response to her, someone uh, asked her to speak because they wanted some perspective from a Christian artist on a topic. And her reaction was, Christian art? Art is art. Painting is painting. Music is music. A story is a story. If it's bad art, it's bad religion, no matter how pious the subject. If it's good art, and there the questions start coming, questions which it would be simpler to evade. Um, but there's this amazing part back here. Okay, this, you have to bear with me. This is worth it, I promise. Oh, it's worth it just start, for the last so line. Here. Okay. Uh, so there's a, an abstract composition by Kandinsky or Van Gogh's Landscape of the Cornfield with Birds. So these are examples of art that's not sacred. It's not meant to be like mm -hmm. uh, Christian art. So these paintings are a real instance of divine transfiguration in which we see matter rendering, rendered spiritual and entering into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This remains true even when the artist does not personally believe in God, provided he is an artist of integrity. Um, and so, so uh, and then I'm going to skip down a little bit. So we may not like that, but we call the work of such artists unchristian or non-Christian at our own peril. Christ has always worked in ways which have seemed peculiar to many men, even his closest followers. Frequently, the disciples fail to understand him. So we need not feel that we have to understand how he works through artists who do not consciously recognize him. Neither should our lack of understanding cause us to assume that he cannot be present in their work. A sad fact, which nevertheless needs to be faced, is that a deeply committed Christian who wants to write stories or paint pictures or compose music to the glory of God simply may not have been given the talent, the gift, which a non-Christian or even an atheist may have in abundance. God is no respecter of persons, and this is something we are reluctant to face. Here's where it gets great. We would like God's ways to be like our ways, his judgments to be like our judgments. It is hard for us to understand that he lavishly gives enormous talents to people we would consider unworthy, that he chooses his artists with as calm a disregard of surf surface moral qualifications as he chooses his saints. Boom. Close saints, the book. Mic drop. Mic saints, drop right there. Book saints, drop. artists, we're all broken people. We're all vessels. We're servants to what we do and what we create. I God chooses who ideas. he chooses. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all. So that shaped you when you were like, what, 20? Yeah, I mean, those still, ideas just. It, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I stopped thinking about what's Christian and what's non-Christian so much. And I, I thought. And as a kid of the 90s where it was a big deal, like music was mm. Christian, like the whole CCM movie yeah, yeah, came yeah, along and it's right. like you had to listen to Christian music and it was hard to like, figure out what that meant. Um, in the so 90s, was, it just had to mean like it was Michael W. Smith or Amy Grant <laughs> and, and then it was on the okay DC list. Talks. Yeah, right. Um, but then I started listening to other music and thinking, well, all th this, is all, this is all a gift from God, right? Like. Right. Well, you do a gets, brilliant job with that on Sundays. Oh, you, yeah. You embody, you embody that book you've read 20-something years. 
20s, 20s. 15 years, uh, 12, 12 years. <laughs> well, well thanks. It's five years. <laughs> it's a big influence. I hope this rubs off on people a little bit. Um, I would encourage uh, all Christians, Christ followers to read it. I think yeah. it's a great, some great thoughts. You can find it on Amazon, I'm sure. Yep, put it in your cart with Kevin's book with 150. The author uh, is, uh, she's probably more well-known for her probably most famous work, A Wrinkle in Time. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So she's that author. Yeah. Which I think they're doing a movie about. They are. Hmm. You see the trailer? Read the book first. Read the book first. Quick. Walking on Water. Walking on Water. I feel like I serve a bit of a niche here myself. Uh, don't make this boring. Um, <laughs> we're yeah. counting on you. We're counting on you. Yeah, that's, home run hitter, baby. It's bad news that you yeah. just said that because I kind of feel like sometimes I bring like kind of the theology nerd angle to our conversations. I just figured. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. I better. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of you to sarcastically say. I figured I better double down because this is a book that's influenced me. So this is a book um, uh, called Heavenly Participation. Uh, the Weaving of a Sacramental Tapestry. It's by a man named Hans Borsma, Dr. Hans Borsma. He was actually my thesis mentor. So I read this when I was in grad school. And um, the way I would, ta- I would think about it is it's a book that for me was like, it's like there's something going on around you and you've never noticed it. And then someone said, hey, look at that. And you're like, oh, Yeah. And there was a lot of resonance. So, essentially, in this book, he, he talks about this idea of participation, which is really an ancient Christian way of beginning to understand the, the world and how it exists. So, and we don't think about this a lot um, in our current world. Like, we don't think about, like, how we have our being. It's not really a question. We just kind of exist and we go on. And we're typically more thinking about how we live in light of the fact that we assume our being. Um, but Christians for a long time, and particularly the early Christians, were trying to sort out how do we actually think about the fact that we have being? Like, where does that come from? On what basis? And so, um, without going into kind of the whole book and the way he traces all of this, essentially the idea is that participation is all about God is being. He's the fullness of everything. He's the fullness of goodness. He's the fullness of truth and beauty and all of these things. And all of creation participates in God then to varying degrees, right? Because not all of us are good to the same extent. And in fact, not all of us, and Augustine would use some of this language, even have being to the same extent as we participate in God. But I think what for me, this has kind of shaped me in like a few ways. One of which is um, it, it helps you orient Uh, yourself to the world. So, C.S. Lewis, Hans quotes C.S. Lewis, who says, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. So, one of the things that this doctrine of participation does is it puts God first as sort of the one from whom everything really flows and comes. And uh, in some sense, only when we're oriented that direction can you properly enjoy the things that are around you. This is really Augustinian as well, right? The idea that um, there's only one sort of end to be enjoyed and that's God and everything else are means to the end. And if we begin enjoying, if we begin enjoying the means as ends in themselves, then suddenly we, our whole kind of soul, our self is kind of cracked and off, off course. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love that, that it kind of reorients. Another one is it's, I mean, I said it was like you're looking around and you've kind of been swimming in you know, water or something. And then someone says, oh, by the way, you're in water. And it's like, it's just a new lens, a new way to look at the world. So in the second half of his book, Hans, um, kind of the first half is what he traces, kind of the unraveling of what he calls the sacramental tapestry um, and a number of kind of philosophical movements and how we've kind of moved away from that in modernity. And then he's, he, then the second half is really about what it would look like to kind of reestablish a sacramental tapestry and to have participation as this way of viewing the world. And just, a, just as kind of one example, and as I'm talking about the way of viewing the world, um, he talks about how this would impact the church in its relationship to tradition. So the idea of sacramental time is such that we think of time as sort of um, progressive moments, like sort of one second to the next, and then you chart that, like that second was a second ago, and now it's two seconds ago and three seconds ago, and I could tell you what I was doing, you know, in 2001 or whatever. And we think of time in this linear way. And sacramental time, when you take God, who is sort of outside of time as sort of the beginning, sort of you almost lift out of it and you realize that when we are... Uh, engaging with scripture and reciting the creeds, we are participating in God's word in the exact same way that the tradition, the very first people who were having these conversations was. And there's sort of a, there's a bringing together of the two rather than just they were those who have gone before us. There's really a sense in which we, we sort of almost contemporarily are sharing in the tradition. I just find that really rich and really different way of thinking about the world. The third thing, this is the last one, but I think it's interesting because I think all of our books have some element of this, is that it, I think it really helps us reclaim mystery. Um, so this is just a, a great quote that's worth reading. Um, he says, uh, the modern notion of a separate creation. So one of the things he says is that often we think of God sort of just sending creation off, sort of like, and it's separate. So he says, the modern notion of a separate creation erases the creature-creator distinction by insisting that the created order carries its own truth, its own goodness, and its own beauty. Modernity has made the created order into an idol. And I think when you go the opposite direction and you sort of reestablish that, um, that distinction, but also relationship, you begin to re-enter mystery because suddenly like I can't determine the scope of truth and I can't determine the scope of beauty. It's embedded in God who is mysterious. Um, And there's something just, I think, incredibly true and deep about that. So, this book has really shaped uh, a lot of my thinking, how I think about the sacraments, how I think about the church. Um, And yeah, it's been really rich for me. That's really terrific. I have a book by Hans in, on, that was given to me about six, nine months ago. I haven't gotten to it yet, but now after hearing that, I think I've had to read that. So it is one on preaching? It is. Yeah, yeah. But I have to finish Lord of the Rings first, so it's going to take me a while. <laughs> so there you go. Double down on the theology nerd wow. side of things, but it's, it's an academic text, but he writes well, and yeah. it's incredibly engaging ideas, I think. What's it called again? It's called Heavenly Participation, The Weaving of a Sacramental Tapestry. Heavenly Participation. That's a pretty good title. It it's is, a great it? title. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the Bible, Matt. What do you, how come you didn't say the Bible? And number two for me would be the Bible. <laughs> I mean, number one would be the Bible. There you go. You have to put first things first. You can't put second. Yeah. Oh, there you go. By the way, someone told me the other day, um, 
that they, after hearing the podcast, and you talked about this poet, um, Geit. Oh, Malcolm Geit. Yeah. Yeah. So this person bought that book. Oh, how cool. So you're actually having an influence on people, Matt. Well, at least one person. Well, great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, that's all to the good because Malcolm Geit is a wonderful yes. poet and has some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I found this conversation riveting. <laughs> and to that, to that person When's out the there, sequel coming? to that the... person out there who thought this would be boring, you're wrong. Uh, I, well, that person's turned it off by now. Yeah. <laughs> when she heard that I was doubling down on the theology nerd, she just went, ah, okay. she's like, skip, 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 forward, skip, skip. Yeah. And if you have books that you love that have shaped you, um, we can't really talk about that. No, totally we can. We have a Facebook page <laughs> oh, where yeah. people can go and talk about Because you don't that. have a microphone, and we do. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Curious Church. Facebook yeah. is your yeah, microphone. Go on there. What books blocking. have shaped you? Yeah, we promise we'll be very interested in what you have to say. This has been another amazing episode of the Curious Church Podcast. <laughs> Friends, I'm Sam. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And I'm Kevin. Thanks for being curious with us. <laughs>